0: I don't know how many of you find genealogies interesting, perhaps have spent significant time studying your own family lineage and the generations that's come before you. I have to admit that I typically don't. It may be that my family is pretty boring, that there's some sort of shady characters in my, in my family line, but I've never been really interested in studying genealogy. As a kid, uh, we had a great aunt who was really into it and eager to share with us. So uh, periodically, she would gather together, myself and, and kind of all the cousins, and she would tell us the story of generation after generation. And it always felt to me like it was painfully long and of little interest, because if I'm honest, it just didn't seem relevant to my daily life. It didn't seem to have much meaning for my life now or my life in the future. My wife Brandy's family, on the other hand, they are, both her parents are Native American. So on her dad's side, she and the kids are uh, Osage, part of the Osage tribe. And on her mom's side, uh, she and the kids are part of the Pawnee tribe. Now their connection to those tribes is grounded in their family line. So for instance, a person could not just walk up to the tribal office and say, hey, I would like to be a part of your tribe, count me in. that's not how it works. In order to be a a part of the tribe, you must trace your lineage from your parents to your grandparents to your great-grandparents and and provide evidence showing that this is who you are. This is a part of your identity. Your lineage is connected to the tribe. And in those tribes, this lineage means something defines a part of who that person is and it determines whether or not you have access and privileges of being a member of the tribe. And perhaps your background genealogy has been significant to you and meaningful to to who you are and to your story and to your family. And this morning we're going to look at a genealogy in the Bible. A genealogy that if you've read through the Bible much in your life, you've probably come to this genealogy, and if we're all honest, most of us read a couple of lines and then skipped it. Because we thought to ourselves, what's the relevance of this? But we've seen it perhaps before. But I think we'll see today that this genealogy is relevant for us, for the world, and even for eternity. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the New Testament book of Matthew, to Matthew Chapter 1. We've provided some Bibles near you. In those, you can find it on page 807. Page 807, I encourage you to open up a copy of the Bible. You see the text in front of you. If you're newer to reading the Bible, the larger numbers are the chapter numbers. We're in chapter 1. The smaller numbers are the verse numbers. If you don't own a copy of the Bible, we'd love to give you one at the back of the room. You can take a Bible off the table there as you go. And then also, hopefully in your seat, there's one of these journals that has the Gospel of Matthew in it. And if you open it up, uh, it'll turn right there at the beginning to Matthew 1. So we use these. as we went through the book of Romans, people found them helpful. So these are a gift to you. So we invite you, encourage you to take one with you. Uh, if you're an entrepreneur, you might gather up three or four and then resell them online if you'd like to and, and, and make a little money for the week as well. But we, we hope that these will be helpful to you in this study. As we study the scriptures, we also find it helpful to, to not only study them on Sunday morning, not only study them alone, but to study them together with others. So we do that here at Hope through small groups that we call community groups. And those will begin not this week, but starting next Sunday and that week following. And we'd encourage you to consider joining a group where there we will also study the, the Gospel of Matthew. And there we, we don't just rehash the sermon, but really trying to think about the text and apply it to our own lives as we live in this city day to day. And so some of the groups meet uh, only by Zoom. Some of them meet in a hybrid format. Some of them meet in person. And so you can find that on the form in your worship guide. You can also go to the church website, and there also you can find all of those details. But We hope you'll consider joining us for one of those community groups. So Matthew 1, beginning in verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And Isaac, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asaph. Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, the father of Amos. Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel. And Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. Abiud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eliezer. And Eliezer, the father of Methan, Methan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations and from David the deportation to Babylon 14 generations and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ 14 generations today as we look at this passage we're going to see that Jesus is the perfect promised king to recreate a broken people from all the nations Jesus is the perfect promised king to create to recreate a broken people from all the nations And we'll look at this passage in two parts. First, we'll see the perfect promised king has come to recreate. And then second, the perfect promised king has come for all the world. So first, the perfect promised king has come to recreate. Our plan here at Hope is, Lord willing, over these coming months to walk through this entire gospel from Matthew 1 all the way to Matthew 28. So we'll we'll do a portion, we'll take a break, and we'll continue month by month through that. And our hope is that as we study this gospel, we will grow in our understanding of who Jesus Christ is and a greater understanding of his love for us. And that from that, we would grow in our love for him and our desire to follow him as disciples in this world. So it's our belief that this study of this gospel will be helpful to you, whether you're very new to Christianity, maybe brand new to it, or whether you've been following Jesus for decades of your life. So we're going to begin by this genealogy, and we're going to spend the next seven weeks in this genealogy. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just going to make sure you're, you're waking with me just, just this one week in this genealogy. We think it's helpful, but I won't try to kill you by seven weeks here. Now, this gospel was written by Matthew, who's a disciple of Jesus, and he became one of the apostles. Now, we use the term gospel for four of the books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, what do we mean when we call them a gospel account? Well, it's a biography it's a description of the life of Jesus Christ, but we'd also say it's it's more than a biography. One author, Jonathan Pennington, defines a gospel like the Gospel of Matthew as this: the theological, historical, and virtue-forming biographical narrative that retell the story and proclaim the significance of Jesus. So these gospels, they are theological, they also are historical. And they're seeking to form us, to shape our virtue as we look at this biographical narrative that proclaims who Jesus is. And as we walk through the Gospel of Matthew, friends, we're going to see that it offers to us a radical call to be a disciple of Jesus, to join him in his great global kingdom mission. And I hope that you'll wrestle with that Now, Matthew the disciple then writes this really massive gospel, these chapters, and he begins as we see in verse 1. Look down at verse 1 the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So, this one short verse, but loaded with meaning. Our translation here reads Book of Genealogy, which is a, a fine translation literally what it says in the original is this, the book of Genesis. Which certainly would hearken back to the beginning of the Bible, right? There, there's already a book in the Bible called Genesis, so, so Matthew couldn't call his book Genesis 2, but it's an echo of the same idea. Matthew is saying this book is a book of beginnings. That's what this gospel is about. A, a beginning, we might say a New beginning. In, in the Gospel of Matthew, we see a description of the new Genesis, the new creation, the recreation that has come into the world. God had created all things, but sin had come into the world and impacted all things and marred all things, and now this same Creator God was going to bring about recreation. That's what the Gospel of Matthew tells us about in this genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now the name Jesus is a a Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, which was a very common name in that day, which is why Jesus was often referred to as Jesus of Nazareth. Because there were so many Jesuses, you had to say, which one, where is he from? Well, we'll we'll see more of the meaning of the name Jesus next week in the next passage. We have the name Jesus, and then secondly we have Jesus Christ, or Jesus the Christ. Contrary to how we often understand it, this is not a surname. It's not his last name, Christ. But Christ is the Greek form of the title Messiah. So Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. The Messiah was this promised one, this long-awaited deliverer That God had said a Messiah is going to come. This long-awaited deliverer, this anointed one was going to come. And so at the outset, Matthew says, this is who I'm telling you about, Jesus Christ is the Christ. And he gives this genealogy to establish to the world, to his readers, where Jesus has come from. And in the world of that day, to, to Jewish hearers, genealogies were important, much more so than they are to many of us. And so they'd want to know, well, well, where is this Jesus claiming to be from? And so that's why Matthew begins with this genealogy, connecting him to the line of the promises. Of God. And so Matthew tells us that Jesus Christ is first, that he's the son of David. Now, David was considered to be the greatest king of Israel. And God had promised David that he would establish David's reign, his throne, forever. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And Jesus Christ is also, we're told, the son of Abraham. Now, Abraham came before David. The Lord had come to Abram, later renamed Abraham, had come to Abram and his wife Sarah when they had no children and made a promise to him that the Lord was going to make through Abram and Sarah a great nation, a massive nation that was intended to be a nation that would be a light for all the peoples of the world, a blessing to all the peoples. You can look at that in Genesis 12 and following. So what we see here is it connects to the promise given to David. The promise given to Abraham is that Matthew is claiming that in Jesus Christ, God was now fulfilling these promises. God had made these massive, world-history-altering, eternity-shaping promises to both David and Abraham, and now God's people who had waited and watched had waited for generations, longing and even wondering, would these be fulfilled? Matthew says, now in Jesus Christ, these promises were in fact being fulfilled. And here we're reminded that God always fulfills his promises. God is faithful to fulfill all of his promises. Now, his fulfillment here had seemed tremendously slow to God's people. For they had waited and watched for decades, for generations. There had been a a time of silence when there had not even been a prophet coming to God's people for, for hundreds of years. So they had waited, wondered, and some of them no doubt doubted. Would God be faithful to his promises? And here, now, with the coming of Jesus, the promise was being fulfilled. But we'll see in this gospel that, yes, God would fulfill the promise, but he would do so in a way that was different, tremendously different from what God's people had expected. For they were hoping for a Messiah to come, but Jesus would not look like the Messiah they had dreamed of, that they had imagined. He would be profoundly different in the way he walked the earth, and the way he established his kingdom. So if you're a Christian, be encouraged. God is faithful. He is faithful to keep all of his promises. And he's faithful to all of his people, and that includes you. But also remember, his ways often look different than what we might imagine, than what we might prefer. But he is faithful, always faithful. The perfect promised king has come to recreate. But then second, we see the perfect promised king has come for all the world. Now as the genealogy begins to lay out name after name, Matthew is seeking to make clear that Jesus came into this world in A real place and real time from real people that he descended from. So it establishes, it verifies the background of Jesus of Nazareth with direct links to David and all the way back to Abraham. So it starts with Abraham and then Matthew gives us three groups of 14 from Abraham to David, from David to the deportation to Babylon. They were taken away into exile and then from the deportation the birth of Jesus Christ. So Matthew carefully crafts this genealogy. It's not intended to be an exhaustive genealogy listing every single person, but he's carefully crafted it this way, not to try to fool any of the Jews about the line because they were familiar with genealogy and they had access to it. So he wasn't trying to trick them, but he's artfully crafting the the unity of this. Now, commentators have written a lot on, on why these, why 14, and, and there's some, I think there's some worthwhile things to read, but it, but still a little bit too speculative for me to say, this is why there are 14. So I'm not going to try to offer an answer. If you're really interested, I'm happy to point you to some commentaries if you want to read more about that. But that's not the, the driving point of this. It's intended to see, here's where Jesus came from, and then it concludes with Joseph Look at the end, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Now, all the others are mentioned as fathering, but notice here, Joseph is not called the one who fathered or begat Jesus, and that prepares the way for the explanation we'll hear next week. So, verses 18 to 25, we'll see more of that explanation. So, one of the reasons Matthew lays out this genealogy is, one, simply to make the case for who Jesus is, where he has come from. But even as he does that, there's more for us in this lineage. There's some very important aspects that we want to note as well, and that is this. We wanna see that Jesus came from a line of sinners. Jesus' genealogy is filled with sinners. So if you had some time this week and you sat down and you wanted to study every name in this genealogy, you could do that, just do a Bible search, put in their name, read all the verses related to them. That would be a pretty good task this week. And if you did that, you would see some interesting and honestly some truly shocking stories. But if you kept track of what you would see over and over, one of the things you would note is that every single one of them are Sinners. It's true, some of them in this line were more moral than others, and some of them did seek to follow God in a devoted way, but again and again, we see sinners, and some of them truly horrific in their sin. So Jesus came through a line of sinners, a line of those who had rebelled against God. He came through moral outcasts, and he came through that line in order to provide salvation, in order to provide recreation for sinners, to provide salvation for people who'd rebelled against God, to provide salvation for moral outcasts. And friend, if you're a sinner like me, that's good news. Jesus came for sinners like us. That's one of the things this genealogy tells us. So Jesus came from a line of sinners, but Jesus also came from a line that included the nations, that included Gentiles. He came from a line that was not only Jews. Again and again, if you read through this, if you listened, we, we heard again and again, we, a name fathered so-and-so. Or your translation might say, you know, a a name begat so-and-so. And And it goes that way over and over. So so as I read, you just you heard this pattern again and again. So-and-so, father, so-and-so. So-and-so, father, so-and-so. And And what stuck out, if you listened, was occasionally the pattern was broken. And so that should be particularly notable when the pattern is broken. Why was the pattern broken? Broken? What's the point of the breaking of the pattern? And one of the key ways the pattern is broken is that a few women are mentioned. There are some mothers given to us in the line. It's mostly fathers, but the pattern is broken to mention a few mothers. So, first we see that in verse 3. We see the phrase by Tamar. You can read about Tamar in Genesis 38. She was a Canaanite. She was a non-Jew and was married to Judah's oldest son. Now, her husband died before she had any children, so the custom would be that she would marry his brother, which is what he did. But then this brother also died, and there were still no children. So her father-in-law, Judah, came to her and said, "You, you need to remain a widow until our young son grows up, and then you can marry him. So she did that. She waited. But when the time came, Judah wasn't truthful. He didn't follow through on his commitment, and he didn't give this other son to Tamar. And so eventually, Tamar dressed as a prostitute, and when Judah, her father-in-law, came to her village, he did not recognize her. She offered himself to him, and he took her up on this offer, engaged in this sinful act, and she became pregnant. Judah discovered He was the father. And Tamar gave birth to twin boys that we see in the genealogy. And Perez is listed as the next in line through Tamar. In verse 5, we see by Rahab. You can find her story in Joshua 2. As as God's people were coming into the promised land, they came to the city of Jericho. And Joshua sent some spies to to spy out Jericho and see how difficult would it be to overtake this city. And these spies came in, and this woman Rahab, who was a prostitute, she sheltered these spies. She protected them and guided them, and then when, when God's people overtook Jericho, they protected her. They preserved her, and in time, she was married to Salmon, and she became the mother of Boaz, as we see in the genealogy. Also in verse 5, we see by Ruth. We find her in the Old Testament book that carries her name. Now, Ruth was a Moabite. And there were few greater outsiders among the people of God than the Moabites. The Moabites were not to come near to the temple. But in God's sovereignty, in his plan, Ruth would marry Boaz and give birth to Obed again in the line of Jesus. Then in verse 6, we see this interesting phrase, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. So here Bathsheba is alluded to, but she's not named. You could read more about this in 2 Samuel 11. Uh, Bathsheba was married to a Hittite uh, named Uriah, We're not told for sure, but it would seem likely that she was a Hittite as well, although the scriptures don't tell us explicitly. Now, the the pattern continues of what we see in these other women, but there's something else that that is pointed out here because we wonder, well, why isn't she named? Why are we reminded that she's the wife of Uriah? And it seems it's not at all to discredit Bathsheba, instead, it is to remind the Jewish hearers of the depth of King David's sin. King David, in the eyes of every Jew, was the greatest king. They they loved him. They loved his lineage. Yet David had committed horrific sin. Bathsheba had been married to one of King David's most loyal men, Uriah, a friend. And Uriah had been away fighting David's battle. And while he was away, David had seen Bathsheba, had had her brought to himself, had committed adultery with her. In time, she became pregnant by David. And eventually, David had Uriah killed. So it's sin upon sin upon sin. And so when it says here, the wife of Uriah, it's a reminder of David's great sin. It's a reminder to every Jew who would read this, don't lose sight of David's greatness because David engaged in this horrible, horrible sin. And it should have caused him to look up and say, we need a king who's greater than David. And that's who this Messiah, Jesus Christ, is. The greater David has come. Now, when we think about these four women, we might wonder, okay, but why are they there? But what's the point of including these four women in this genealogy? Now, we might say, well, perhaps the goal is to show that Jesus Christ, the king, has come for women as well as men. And that's certainly true, and we'll see that again and again across Matthew, but if the point was simply the inclusion of women, there are some more well-known women they could have named. So, for instance, Abraham's wife, Sarah, Rebecca, who was the wife of Isaac, would have been more well-known. So if the point was simply, I want to remind everyone that that women are included as well, why why would not choose the the most well-known of women? But that's not what happens. But notice, as I said, he chooses to tell us that in the line of Jesus, there were two Canaanite women, a Moabite and likely one who was a Hittite. So the point of these four mothers is primarily that the line of Jesus is an ethnically diverse line. The line of Jesus is wider than just Jews because these women were brought in who were outsiders of the people of God, but they have now been brought in. Some of the nations, some of the Gentiles are in the very genealogy of Jesus. So this genealogy tells us that the promised Messiah has come just as God has promised through a line of sinners, also a line of outsiders, people from the nations. And this also is who Jesus came for. Author Sam Alberry says it this way, Matthew's genealogy includes the outcast, scandalous and foreigner, the family Jesus comes from, anticipates the family he has come for the family Jesus has come from anticipates the family that Jesus has come for and friends that is wonderful news for us if we know ourselves the family Jesus has come from says that potentially there's room for us in the family of Jesus so Jesus came for women and for men for Jew and for Gentile, for rich and for poor, for the weak and for the powerful. We see this in the personal story of the writer of this gospel, Matthew. We'll get to study that when we come to Matthew chapter 9. But Matthew was of Jewish descent himself. But he also was a tax collector, which means that he was working underneath the, the Gentile occupiers, the Romans. So he was despised by his own people. So he was this outcast fundamentally. But he met Jesus, and his life, his eternity, was transformed. An outsider brought in. So Matthew begins this gospel at the very beginning and says, The promised one has come, the king has come, and he has come for sinners, and he's come for all the nations. And we get to the end of this gospel, Matthew 28. At the other end, we're going to find the same theme remains. For Jesus will say in Matthew 28 that all authority has been given to him. So Jesus is the the king with authority, and he would send his disciples. He'll send us out to go to the nations to make disciples of all the nations. So from beginning to end, that, friends, is the theme of Matthew. A promised king has come to recreate, to save, and transform a people from all the nations. So, friend, if you're new to Christianity, maybe brand new. Perhaps this is the very first time you've come to a church. We're so glad that you would join us. We invite you over the weeks to come. We'd love for you to feel safe here to do a serious exploration of who is Jesus. And what better way to do it than to read one of these foundational documents like the Gospel of Matthew. So would you feel safe here. If you'd like to talk more, I'll be today at the the door, and I'm typically there. We'd love to chat with you about that. You might have questions. You can note that on the connection card. Or if you came with a friend or a family member, if they're a Christian, ask them. They would love to tell you more. For those of us who are Christians, there are several important reminders here. Remember and be encouraged that your God will fulfill all his promises. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of these promises, and the same God that fulfilled, he will fulfill the promises that are yet to come true, God's people waited and they wondered. It was hard to wait and their hearts at times were filled with doubts, but friend, God will be faithful to you. He will finish what he has started in you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will keep you to the end. And one day, just as he promised Christ will return and there will finally be no more sin, no more suffering, no more death, and you will be with him forever. Remember, God is faithful, even to his unfaithful people like us. Second, take joy in the fact that Jesus Christ has come and made a way for people like us. When we're mindful of just how deep we were in our sins, we should find great joy That the perfect son of God would come to rescue us. That through his death and resurrection, he has made a way for recreation, transformation, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, this is grace. It is all of grace. Let that give you joy today. Third, friend, let me also encourage you, treasure the new family nine that you're a part of through Christ. Treasure, treasure this new family that you've been brought into. If you know your genealogy, all of us likely have some shady characters in our genealogy. All of us have brokenness, generations that have been harmed, have hurt one another. It's a mess. And Jesus Christ has come to bring any and all who turns him by faith into his family. You're adopted as a child of God. So it doesn't take you out of your family here, but your truest identity, now your truest, fullest family is the family of Jesus Christ. Let that be your sure, enduring identity. Friend, let us also join in the spreading of the news of this king who has come to recreate from all the nations. Jesus came on this great mission, and all who trust in him, like us, are brought into this mission to go and invite, to go and tell sinners, outcasts, peoples of all the nations that there is a gracious Savior who's provided this gift of salvation. So let's join in this mission together. Maybe you have a, a friend or a coworker, a neighbor, a family member that you, you think might be interested in exploring Jesus. That might, this might be a great time say, you know what my church is walking through the Gospel of Matthew? Maybe you'd want to join us as we explore that. I think for a lot of us in the busyness of life, and also just the the strangeness of the past year with the pandemic, we've lost sight, I think a lot of us, of this mission. It's been hard to talk to people, it's hard to to be with people, and so we've lost track of this. So so maybe today we're brought back, we're reminded of the mission of Jesus Christ to go and tell of the gracious, saving work of Christ. So let's rejoin this mission today. For There is good news. The perfect promised king has come. And because of that, lasting change, eternal change in us is possible.